Welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast, a space for the spiritually curious to explore faith in new and meaningful ways. Open your heart and mind and journey with your host, Luke Bricker, into greater spiritual freedom. Well, everyone, welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. I have my new friend, Jay, joining me today to have a conversation about faith, about uh, just the foundation of his faith, deconstruction, reconstruction. He responded to a, a call that I put out on Instagram for people to hit me up um, to have a conversation about how people are really seeing their faith and really in particular how Jesus plays a role in their faith as they've grown and progressed and have evolved, I guess, into new understandings of their own spirituality. So Jay, thanks for joining me on the podcast today, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I love it. So do you, uh, do you, have you, is this your first podcast or have you done others? It is my first podcast. Uh, I've been, been thinking about uh, maybe launching one one day, but I'm, I'm very busy, but one day I've got to do it. I've got to do it. You just, just got to do it, it, man. Yeah. You have such a good voice for podcasting. So I feel like you have like a very easy listening voice, you know, which is kind of a weird sort of thing that I have with podcasts. Like, you know, because with podcasts, you're only hearing, you're only using one of your senses, you know what I mean? And so like the tone and tenor of voice is really important. So I'm going to encourage you in it, man. I think you should do it. Hey, appreciate <laughs> that, man. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, why you, you responded. Why, what about the post um, did you feel like resonated with you? I'll have to tell you, spirituality is, uh, it's one of my, um, I guess, core values. Uh, mm. you, know, you know, taking different inventories. Uh, it was uh, the Authentic Happiness Assessment by Seligman. Mm. And, uh, learned that it made sense because I know me. And so when I saw your post, that's what attracted me to your, to your, to follow your page. Uh, the, the quotes you put up and uh, the name of the page. Um, and so spirituality is just something that's very uh, much a core value. And I do this uh, for a living kind of, <laughs> really? So tell me about yeah. that. I'm, and I'm curious about how spirituality became to even be a value, you know? So yeah. how, like, how did that even, where was the origins of that? And then how are you like flowing into that now? Like you said, as, as a living. Yes. Uh, well, you know, growing up, uh, of course, for it to be a deconstruction, there had to be a foundation, like you said. So uh, the foundation for me uh, began, uh, in very early age, um, uh, family who was very deeply tied to the Pentecostal church. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, church service was very exciting growing up. Yeah. 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 Upbeat and everything, you know, yeah. got the drums. To me, like, you know, I don't know. The, I'm a drummer, so uh, I love some of the, the Pentecostal upbeat drums, you know, and everything. Uh, yeah. 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 Tell me more about that. Folks running around, you know, it was just always excitement. So uh, I <laughs> a lot of that, tongues. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. Lots of jumping and stuff. Yeah. And so it was lit. <laughs> and uh, I was uh, influenced by that. And I was intrigued at what made these people, you know, take this, so seriously and to the point of where uh, they have to jump and run around. And so, um, you know, my grandmother, she, she really uh, raised me closely, named me mm. and uh, um, put a heavy emphasis upon uh, Jesus and the church and even put me in Christian school, uh, at a very early age, Christian private school. Mm. Um, and so, uh, I knew this, the Bible, I could quote Bible uh, very good even before Bible college. Mm. So it was just in me. It was embedded. It was yeah. embedded. Yeah. Uh, she, my grandma took that scripture seriously about training up a child. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
Was and there so, any resistance, like as a kid, as she was kind of leading you and guiding you, do you feel like you had any resistance or were you just like a sponge to all of that? I was mostly a sponge. Of course, underneath that, looking back, I could admit the parts of me that I repressed because I wasn't bold enough to say it to her. Ah. But, but yeah, there were parts of me that I was just like, man, screw this. I, you know. I don't want to curse on the podcast, but screw oh, you're it. fine, man. Okay, okay. You're fine here. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, growing up underneath to yourself, you're like, man, fuck that. Right. But, uh, but um, for the most part, uh, I, I was good at it. Um, as a three-year-old, I could say all the books of the Bible backwards and forward. They, they have me on uh, video saying it at three years old wow in front of the church so the self-efficacy yeah uh, you know i did something well and so mm -hmm. i kind of chased that i kind of chased that um and so i pursued it when i got older uh, but did you go into bible college then I yeah i kind of referenced that some so that all of that led to you eventually taking it as serious as a vocation, right? Well, sure. Even even as I vacuumed the house uh, as a 10-year-old, I held the vacuum cleaner cord the way my pastor held his microphone cord. No way. Yeah. And as he walked, he would let a little bit go, and I would do the same thing. <laughs> I <Yeah>. love it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I mean... We pick up every, and that's one thing too, is like, as we formulate our faith, you know, a lot of it is just sheer mirroring, you know, any sort of psychology will tell you that. And we mirror the environments that we're in, you know, even not only theologically, but even like that, like holding your vacuum cord, like your pastor holds his microphone. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's actually something I think that can be really endearing about that, that a lot of times that we kind of get frustrated with that, that we've been like um, manipulated in some way to be a particular person. But there's, there is some sort of, and I think this is part of like reconstruction for me in a way is understanding some of the, the sweet things or the things that I'm actually grateful for that I needed a season of frustration with to like, you know, get down to the gold that's beneath all the soot or whatever that raised or laid is on top of it. And so like that even stuff like that it's like that's how sweet is that that you know a 10 year old's vacuuming his house representing you know uh, somebody who is meaningful that guy i mean he was probably one of the most important influences right in your life maybe is that safe uh, to say absolutely absolutely yeah so yeah. from that like how did your teen years look um after that like what did that look like Man, I was I was still a normal teen, you know, shooting the shit, you know, trying a joint. But the crazy shit is I'd buy my pastor's cassette tapes and videotapes. Back then it was VA, v VCR. So, yeah. And uh, cassette tapes. And I, I'd, I'd listen to them for the, for the sake of the knowledge and plus his charisma. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I didn't know then what those tapes represented for me. Uh, but like you said, it was, he's a very meaningful image. Uh, he was a uh, role in my life. But yeah, so I, you know, I was the kid who I, I, I embraced my shadow and did a little, you know, kid stuff. You know, talking mm -hmm. to lots of girls and all that crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I was still like a little different. And, I was my friends, even though they knew me to be a little wild, they would also know me to be a, a scripture quoter. So it was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it was very interesting. Yeah, interesting. it's kind of like I don't know why that just something that just came to me is like, uh, have you ever seen the movie Friday? Yep. You know, and like the pastor's like quoting scripture, but he's yep. following her right yep. in the side of the house. Yep. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a yep. lot of that. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so you use the language even of like your shadow self that's not necessarily as too common to to christianity to use that sort of language um is, is that something that you picked up uh later on or were you exposed to people who are more 
I guess, uh, broader term sort of folks? Did you run with any of those people or, or where was that? Yeah. So after Bible college, I went to seminary and in seminary, there was a course I needed called clinical pastoral education mm. and how to pastor in the clinic. And everybody in the clinic is not Christian. So how do you pastor an atheist? And so I began learning that from, uh, you know, I call them gurus, but they probably wouldn't, <laughs> uh, you know, but they were all the same thing we're talking about now, the deconstruction, they were all staunch Christian. And then they began expanding their theology and moved into Buddhism and now even probably universal. Uh, uh, and so I still study with them now, but even though I met them about eight years ago, but that's when my theology started expanding tremendously. And then I, I got a, a, a mentor who was not only a, a pastor, but he was also a psychologist. Mm. And uh, he mentored me for two years. And where'd, and, you, where'd you hook up with him? Where'd you find him at? Uh, well, through the, the clinical pastoral education, oh, okay. I asked one of the fellows, uh, one of my supervisors, uh, for a good, a good solid uh, therapist. And mm. it turned into a mentorship uh, after he introduced me to the fellow. So uh, That's rest really peace, cool. Dr. Nick, he just died probably in June. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. That's so cool. So where did you find yourself going after that? So was the goal of going through seminary and going through all of this to be more on the clinical side of, of that? Or did you have a desire to like be a, a, like a clergyman in a local church? Like what, what was some of the direction through some of those years? Yeah. Crazy shit, man. Uh, because I described to you how I am, you know, I, I embraced my shadow and still embraced my uh, Pentecostal background. Yeah. Uh, simultaneously. And, um, I believe uh, I decided I wanted to only be a chaplain. Yeah. I didn't want to be a pastor because I knew I was a little wild. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to be a chaplain. There you, know, you go. <laughs> I can't be a pastor. You know, then I became a chaplain and realized, hell, it's pretty much the same thing. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I have a chaplain friend, and he's like, he's like, man, I thought that this was gonna be kind of similar to what you're saying, you know? He's like, I thought I wasn't gonna have some of the responsibility that I was gonna be expected to have. And he's like, turns out, I feel like I have more, you know? It's like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, God has a way of coming around and getting you. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Um, so yeah, God came in the back door, if you will. Uh. But yeah, and now I pastor as well uh, in the Methodist tradition. Okay. Um, you know, but my heart's in the clinic. And yeah. so uh, I now teach pastors how to pastor in the clinic. Like I, mm. like when I came in, I'm, I'm being trained now by those same gurus to do what they do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And so this has been your path for pretty much your whole life. Yeah. 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 What was it like for you? Like at what point did you feel like you were starting to have different, uh, different interpretations of scripture or even different interpretations of your own experience? I know sometimes deconstruction has a lot of different facets. So like for some people, they either start deconstructing with the church, like thinking about that. Like I've talked to people that it's like, you know, their disagreement about tithing, like sparked this whole thing, you know, or it was like, for in my case, it was theological, right? Like I started reconsidering the idea of hell, you know, and for some folks I've talked to, it's been there, they've looked back on their experiences and have, have doubted or have been frustrated with just their sheer own experience of, of what it is. And it's made them reevaluate because of that. Um, and I'm sure there's a, you know, too many to even list. Everybody's so unique, you know, but what, what was some of the, at what time did you begin to be like, I'm, I'm having a nuanced look of my faith. I'm, I'm beginning to quote deconstruct or reevaluate some of the tenets that I've held, you know? Yeah. It started out very slowly, but I remember 
a major turning point was my very last class in Bible college before seminary. Okay. It was a theology course. And I began learning about the various theologies, the Reformation and the Armenian, the Reformed and all, all of that stuff. Oh, and, yeah. uh, so that's when I became open and interested, like, oh, there's actual theories out here for what I grew up calling false churches. And false, <laughs> yeah. False prophets. And I started learning there was a theory and I was like, hmm, maybe there is something, something out there more than this Pentecostal, you know, narrow Pentecostal road. Mm. But hell, I was, even though I, I was a little wild, I, I defended my Pentecostal tradition because I grew up in a church where they believed they were the only ones right. Yeah. Which, ironically, almost every church has that same position. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. Uh, at least in denominations and things, you know. Right. Or at right. least some sort of like, because I come from a, a church movement called the Vineyard, and it's very, it, it's uh third wave charismatic, if you will. Right. Yeah. And um, even at that, it's like, it's a very kind of like, Oh yeah. Like we're not the only kid on the block or whatever, but then it's always a, well, are they vineyard or, uh, you know, who, and it's always the who's who of everything. And it's a little, you know, everybody else kind of doesn't quite get it, but we really do, you know? So it was never like overtly like other people are evil unless it was like another religion, of course, but like, even within the Christian circles, it, there was just this undertone of like, yeah, other people just don't quite get it the right way, but they're still okay. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, so many churches have that, you know? Right. And that's, right. I'm sure with Pentecostalism, that's gotta be, that knob's gotta be turned up even higher. Right. If, if you didn't speak in tongues and if your women wore pants, and jewelry, they're automatically disqualified from, you know, from God's love. They only experienced God's love when they came into the fold. Mm. Uh, so it was a very exclusive, uh, you know, uh, religion. And that's how I thought. I thought very exclusively for a long time, even though I knew my wild side. I, yeah. And so that's just the way, that's the way I was taught. So that's what I believed. And, and classes, then seminary came, and that's when the bigger course came in theology. And, it deconstructed uh, my thoughts about uh, the strict, modest clothing uh, apparel of women and men, particularly my daughters who were very young and I had them wearing skirts. And uh, the teacher said something like, there's no, nothing in this world can, can make you holiest. It's Christ. And mm. even though uh, I might not necessarily believe that's a universal term, I mean, fact right now, in that moment, it was it was enough for me to go home and throw out those skirts. Wow! So my, I began becoming a little bit more liberal, and now I'm liberal as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so okay, so that was the start of it. Walk me through some more. Like you know, that was the cracking open of it, and now yeah. super you know universal, yeah. super understanding of, of many traditions and paths and things. What was that in between time? Like what were some more stuff that you began to wrestle through and what happened in the heart or the mind and the, the union between those two to find some sort of new path and find some sort of new way. So many folks that deconstruct, um, they can take things apart. I always use the analogy. I grew up riding dirt bikes and stuff and two cycle engines need a new top end rebuild every winter. If you ride them hard enough, I could take my engine apart but then I'd have to take it to the shop and have a master mechanic put it back together, you know? And it's like, I was, I couldn't do it. I still to this day can't do it, you know? But it's yeah. like in the same way with our faith, sometimes we just take things apart. But for those of us that are doing the, the, the reconstructing, the, the putting back together, it's a lot of trial and error and frustration. And, um, you know, a lot of, if you're following the analogy, like YouTube tutorials on how to, you know, and I don't know about you, but I like, went on YouTube benders and all this stuff, trying to sort through my path of what was going to be, make some sort of sense to me, you know? Um, so I'm curious for you um, and, and to follow with that too, is a lot of folks right now are having trouble embracing their, 
nuanced faith now and reconciling that with some earlier versions. Like, so you're back in the Methodist or not back, but you're found yourself in the Methodist tradition. You know, there's a lot of people that, you know, won't even be able to darken the door of a church right now, you know? So was there a time like that for you? And then what were some of the other aspects in that, that helped you kind of fuse faith together? Yeah. I know that's a lot of stuff, but (laughs) no, 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 no. That's uh, yeah. So I started taking clinical pastoral education units uh, with these fellows and uh, where I found myself back uh, after a few years of chaplaincy of the Department of Mental Health here. Uh, I went back to study with these guys to get my credentials up. But all throughout those years, I, I began to lose my faith. You know, going through CPE, clinical pastor education, they would talk about different faiths and you would be with people of different faiths and you would see death every day mm. and really crazy deaths. And you just kind of start wondering, like, where the hell is God in all of this? And, you know, faith just starts shaking. And I just got to a place where I was like, shit, I mean, what's right? Who's right? Nothing's right you know, (laughs) to hell with all of this. And I wanted to give up this spirituality, which was a great part of me. I was, I was trying to tuck that part of me away and just, I was getting ready to go to human resources and say, fuck chaplaincy and, and pastoring, just go do some human resources. And, um, I met Dr. Nick. He's, uh, so pair, so major on my journey. Mm. He, uh, we began talking and, the questions of who who are you really and what's your evidence? Uh, one of the first questions he ever asked me. And when I got finished dealing with that question months later, I ended up being love at my core. Mm. And so is so so do I believe that about Luke and everyone else, mm. uh, which allowed me to uh, embrace the idea of love from God being created in God's image. Yes. And so it went from that exclusiveness to uh, the idea of love and compassion, care and concern and empathy Mm. uh, and community. And that's where it all changed for me. We're no longer exclusive, but now striving to be in compassionate community Mm. Um, and, and not, you know, nurturing, uh, uh, competition, but uh, nurturing cooperation, uh, yeah, kind of thing. Mm. And so, uh, I think the educational system, as well as the church, have uh, moved us more so into objectivism, mm-hmm. objectifying, and not uh, a compassionate community of truth. Yeah, uh, and I love that language. It's so good. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Please continue. I I just had to say it. It's so good. Yeah. Yes, a compassionate yeah. community of truth. I mean, if there was not any better definition for what I think churches could be, um, you know, and holding that sort of space, you know, uh, how do you, how have you encountered some of this in real time, like uh, with other people, like now that you see I'm made in the image and likeness, everyone's made in the image and likeness. Like how, how do you see yourself beginning to, to use Paul's terms that he even ripped off some other Greek guys, live and move and have your being, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you begin to see that? And how did you begin to see that? Like shape the way that you, you live. The spiritual nomad podcast is a ministry of current collective church a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to holding space to experience the divine in healing and transformative ways that enable us to live into the fullness of a truly abundant life. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider a tax-deductible donation to support our ongoing effort to reimagine spiritual community. Visit thespiritualnomad.org give to contribute today. Thank you for your support and partnership. Yeah, and so taking a look at the self-image, uh, and so I dealt with the being, who are you really? 
and what's your evidence? Uh, I dealt with my being first because I was putting my doing before my being. Yeah. And that was detrimental. And I was uh, being valuing myself for what I was, what I was able to do and how much of it versus just being in, in God's image (laughs) and being love. And so I started looking at my doing uh, afterwards and I made sure it aligns, aligns with my being. Yeah. Uh, and so if I'm doing something and it's not aligning with my being, there's a conflict inside. When I would do good, I, I don't do good, you know, kind of thing that inner conflict is yeah. happening. So, uh, you know, becoming aware of that and wanting to, to, to aspire to continuous growth uh, rather than the old pattern of uh, destruction and yeah. self-sabotage. Uh, but moving towards continuous growth in community well, of self and community uh, with, with those around me and nature and God. Uh, mm. So, yeah, I think it was the next step for me was analyzing or, or looking at my behavior and ensuring it aligned with my doing. Because if I'm a creator and love at my core, mm. then I, I, where's my evidence? I should be doing creative, <laughs> loving things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Let me. Sorry, I think. Um, one second here. Yeah. Okay. Apologize for that, everyone. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um. So. In that, I love, so being before doing is something a lot, that's language that I use a lot with the spiritual nomad. And I've posted some about that because I think so many people who pursue ministry or find themselves in any sort of like church responsibility can quickly find themselves in that sort of identity and they can quickly lose themselves in the acts of goodness instead of understanding themselves as being goodness and that's the overflow, you know, just like Jesus says, you know, it's the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, you know, it's just, just the abundance. I would say not even the mouth speaks. It's the abundance of the heart that makes the hands move and the everything happen, you know, comes from the abundance of the heart. And um, until that is viewed in right way, uh, everything else is going to be like a vain pursuit, you know, and always leaving some sort of emptiness, and I've seen that a lot in the deconstruction movement. I'm curious your thoughts from your experience and what, as you are still pastoring people, uh, presumably who are potentially deconstructing in some way, uh, like not that there's necessarily an antidote to deconstruction, if you will. Uh, but I do think whenever things began to quote reconstruct for me in some way, it was whenever I began to understand like the transcendent identity in God that I am. Um, And immediately all of the things that I was frustrated about, my preferences, my irritations, my theological, you know, liminalities, all of this stuff began to not completely go away, but, but not be as, it became more peripheral because I'm like, okay, like whether or not someone is going to agree with me about something nobody actually knows about what happens after you die. (laughs) You know what I mean? That is peripheral to the fact of love in this moment and the connection to the being that is also representative of God. And that has helped so much um, because sometimes what can happen in deconstruction is we just create some other thing that we need people to adhere to and create another other all over again. You know what I mean? And it's like, wait a second isn't this what I was like frustrated about with the church or anything else? And so it's like, find ourselves like back in this weird feedback loop, you know, of stuff. But what breaks that loop, in my opinion, what I hear you saying is, is the identification of the heart and the identity who is transcendent in the eternal. If you want to like use some bigger language, you know, some language like that. And so um, how are, how does it work when you begin to see that, and other people, like, what's it like walking through that with other people or better yet, how would you, for those that are listening, that are trying to find 
a path of reconstruction? How does that, like, what, what are some things that you would give to them um, as ways to help reorient themselves? Uh, well, we talk about compassion. Uh, I also add to that uh, listening. Mm. Um, when we, I think, listen from a place of compassion, because like you said, if I'm encountering the divine in you, uh, regardless of, of where we stand in views, I can listen to you compassionately mm. uh, without formulating, trying to, let me get you right. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, I think, the way we teach in the West. We put uh, one teacher in the front and a bunch of rows of students looking at that one authority versus the Greek theater, they would use everybody in the audience would be a part of the play. Yeah. Everybody who showed up was going to be. And so I believe, I think we get more done when we include everybody around and, and listen to everyone and, and, and not be, uh, I've got the right answer for you. Yeah. Uh, kind of. So I think we just take a moment and just do some compassionate listening. I mean, I think even mm. I think about the Buddha when I say, when I say that, yeah. uh, eager to listen to the human soul uh, of, of, of my neighbor. Mm. Um, I think we could get so much done right there. We, we stop nurturing competition and we begin to create community. Are you a creator or are you a competitor? Is a mm. question I would, would, would ask myself um, mm. behind my motives. What's driving me? Uh, so good. Yeah, do I have to get this person right or can I just be in community with them for a moment? Mm. Uh, would the relationship would probably help transform myself and them more so than any advice I could muster? Yeah. Uh, and when they're ready for advice, they'll ask. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> so, and what I love about that is a lot of times when we, we move out of more uh, traditional structures or foundations of faith that have been handed to us for those of us that have grown up in the church or whatever that might be, we, we start to listen to other people and our awareness or consciousness opens up more to other possibilities of faith and expression of faith and practice of faith. Um, and then we begin to adopt some of those things, see what works for us. And we tend to have with people who are not in our own faith tradition that we come from a lot more compassion and grace and understanding than we do listening to those who are a part of whatever faith that we have come from. Um, and so a big part of maturity, I think for me is looking at like, okay, like, can I have the conversations not only with the person who has these more new ideas and knowing that I'm kind of more prone in my personality to be curious and to like new ideas anyway, you know, but can I still learn from the tradition that I came from? Is there still gold to be had there? You know, uh, did you go through a time where you felt like it was hard to listen to the voices of, you know, the pastor that you listened to growing up or people in the Pentecostal vein, like, do you take from them now at all? Or, or how, what's your relationship like with your earlier versions of faith? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had to reconstruct some of the meanings uh, of my faith tradition, my formative theology Um they had various traditions that were meaningful to me that I quite naturally use without knowing, uh, you know, such as they had something called uh, tarrying, uh, where you waited at the altar for the spirit to come and empower mm -hmm. you. And uh, I used that uh, in my patient care. Mm -hmm. uh, tarrying just means to wait. And uh, I, can, I can wait at the bedside uh, for empowerment as I listen compassionately. Mm. We're both empowered and in tune with each other. Uh, and even if I don't say a formal prayer, all of what we said was a prayer. Yeah. Sacred ground. 
sacred ground. And seeking is a big part of Pentecostalism. Mm. And so I, I, I can take away that uh, as a strength, um, being a seeker, um, a seeker of, of the divine nature uh, in, in the tree. Uh, uh, like you said, that curiosity piece, um, very curious because of uh, the seeking nature from the Pentecostal church. Yeah. Uh, I can find God everywhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I love that, man. Like uh, even I know some of my people who I'd run with in the past, I'd say seeking God in the tree. What are you a pantheist now? Like what, <laughs> what's, what's up with that, man? You know? And, and um, man, I've, I've actually found a lot of uh, stuff through a, a version of pantheism in a way. Um, I, I like a lot of the panentheism. Me too. You know, I love that. Like, it's like it includes, but is it's this to me? It's like the most biblically true, if I can use that. And it's it's so, if I can get any little piece of my brain around God, which is a funny thing, but if I can try, I'm like, I think that would be it. You know, it would be overall, in all, through all includes but yet is greater than like all of this you know and and there is some sort of awe and wonder i think that's included with that that i think pentecostal or charismatic versions of faith do impart to you uh, more so than more of like an evangelical reformed tradition i got real into heavy reformed stuff for a little bit um really into calvinism and all of that and man like Whenever I look back, I'm like, it's actually my earlier um, charismatic experiences that have really been the sweetest and the most transformative to me in those places. You know, it's like, sure, like the other taught me how to like look at the Bible like a math book, but at least like my charismatic, which borrows from the Pentecostal tradition is like, we are going to literally encounter the Holy Spirit in a infilling way during worship you know what i mean and it's it's experience based you know um is that something that has helped inform like experienced based stuff from pentecostalism has that helped inform any of the way that you live now or what you do now because I, I know method my dad grew up in a methodist church and it's it's not as much that you know so right. how does that how does that work in in your life now in real time yeah well you know i wait for the experience uh, like uh, even in, in this conversation uh, in the Pentecostal church, they would wait for the spirit to come and this pastor may not prepare a message. Yeah. He'd wait for the spirit to come. And I I like to do that with, with people in my interactions. I don't like to be so calculated. Yeah. I like to be with them and wait to see what the truth is going Instead of bringing all the truth, let's see what truth will emerge. Yes. Um, and that's what the pastor did in the Pentecostal church. He didn't bring all of the written truth that he wrote, but he read a little bit, he show up and he freestyle it. Yeah. <laughs> wait for the spirit to come. <laughs> yeah. The truth is here now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. Do you still uh, talk to anybody from those circles or people that you were hanging out with uh, in your earlier versions of faith? Uh, yeah, slightly. There are a few people uh, here and there that I talked to here and there, not necessarily very close because for a while there, I did have some animosity as I was breaking, uh, as, as something was being birthed in me. Yeah. Like I, I ascribed to the panentheism as well. God it all. Right. And, um, but uh, a lot of folks from the old days, when I talk to them, they get really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so I just like, yeah, let's talk about something else. Yeah. So uh, talk to me a little bit about that animosity that you're feeling. What was that like? Like, um, is it because of where they were and you were frustrated with they were or part of where you, maybe even some people I've talked to, it's like, man, I'm frustrated. Like, why can't I just keep believing this? Why can't I just stay in here? You know, and I've seen the two nuance parts of that. They're frustrated with those folks or with their beliefs, or they're frustrated with themselves and their own emerging beliefs. 
Uh, I know that's very like dichotomy, but you know, um, did you, which one of those did you think you found yourself in? Now, I remember struggling with my faith, uh, being very, very angry about that. Uh, the fact that I had to struggle after I thought I had the truth. Mm. Um, and I felt betrayed and deceived by my faith tradition because I thought I had the truth. Yeah. And, um, and when I began awakening and realizing, oh, no, I don't have all the truth. It was frustrating to know I was, I felt betrayed. And so that made me angry. And uh, yeah, just uh, even the struggles of trying to figure out, well, what is the truth? Uh, that made me angry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, didn't feel safe as I did when I thought I had it all figured out. Yeah. How did, what were some of the ways that you coped with that? Cause I know a lot of people, they just can't hang with, with that feeling of, of being vulnerable and in, in their own way and it's like like i had a friend who was deconstructing she was really reaching out and uh lives local here where i'm at and uh about a year in and she was listening to like the liturgist podcast and all this stuff and she just made a hard u-turn back to the evangelical faith and really like dug her heels in into like apologetics and everything and just became it was like a, not only did she go back to former version of faith, but she went like deep into it, you know? Uh, and some people can't handle that place of liminality that you're talking about. Um, what were some of the ways that helped you um, cope, frankly, through through some of that? Man, it, it was a tough one. Because uh, it was a, probably a mixture of me uh, trying to hold up the facade of having all the truth. To, uh, that part, because too embarrassed to acknowledge that I didn't. So I, I always had a part of me that was upholding that part. Uh, but then there was the community of, of folks who had grown uh, spiritually, uh, who I was connected to, who kept me challenged. And pissed me off further at times. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but they kept me challenged. And I, for some reason, I kept wanting what they had. So here I am still hanging out with them. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and growing. And so glad I did. Yeah. Because of the transformation that came with it. Uh, mm. As I emerged into the spirituality of love. Yeah. Yeah what was that like when you really felt like there was something that was connecting on the other side? I, I sometimes I'll talk to people about leaving one shore on a boat or a raft to go to the other side. And not that, and, and as we enter into this, we realize that there's not really a, it isn't as the timeline doesn't work like that. Like we more so enter into a matrix, you know, yeah. through this, but there is a sort of like internal wholeness. And I think that's what Jesus talks about. And when he's talking about the kingdom of God or abundant life or, um, you know, being able to be certain of who you are and your in tuneness with the father, you know, um, but it, in the way that we make a transition into a head to heart sort of thing, that's like one shore going to another shore, you know, and some folks get scared out on the water and they're like, ah, we got to go back, you know, or, you know, what, what was that feeling like whenever you, went from the shore of the mind to the shore of the heart, you know, what was when you began to really be like, Oh, okay. Like this is something that's true for me. What, what was that feeling? What was that experience like? Man, it was, uh, it was rough. It was a, a vulnerable place. Um, because I was, uh, taking down my defense mechanisms. Yeah. Wow. And so I didn't, feel protected. I learned how to protect myself a certain way by retreating to my head. Mm. Uh, I'd live in my head to guard my emotions. Yeah. It, it wasn't until I learned the, the importance of the emotions and how they can run the ship if you don't befriend <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> befriend them and not suppress them. I, I was grounding them and telling them, get the hell out of the room and don't talk to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then I embraced them and said, teach me anger, teach mm. me, teach me something about, about me. 
uh, about my history and and you know why you're talking to me right now why are you talking to me right now <laughs> that's such like an it, what i love about that is your experience is a lot less if i could if this is a good way to say it i'm not sure we'll see it's a less serious approach to it in a way because you're like oh okay like i'm mad right now like i don't have to be so serious about that what why Right. Why am I reacting? Why am I being triggered? Why am I responding in this particular way? Yep. You allow those things to be the teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I love uh, Ram Dass says, you know, uh, everyone is the guru. You know, when you know how to listen, everyone's the guru. That includes listening to yourself. Why is this mind responding or reacting in this way? And I think like that's all, that reconciling that is a sign of, of a sort of reconstruction in a way. Cause you're like, Oh, okay. Like I'm frustrated. Like I used to, um, I tried to start dabbling back into churches after a couple years away from them. And my wife and I would go and we'd leave and she'd be like frustrated. And I'd be frustrated about different things usually. And uh, we're like, why are we so irritated right now? You know? And it was a way to, sort of observe that. And I actually think that's what healed our relationship, the church in a lot of ways is by putting ourselves in to those situations that may have, uh, I don't like to use this term very often, but trigger, if you will, would trigger these sort of things because people have real things like that's a, we use that word by the way, uh, triggering a lot. And I don't know that we are always using it. We're doing a disservice to people that re- have real like psychological trick. Like, you know, just cause I hear a worship song. Okay. And it makes me, makes me just like, not like that environment. I don't know if that's fair to call that a trigger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like anyways, yeah. rabbit, rabbit trail. But um, I think that facing those, putting ourselves into that, having, the observer afterwards conversations about that helped our relationship to it. Um, And so I I wonder if people uh, as they grow and begin to take that approach, if they would be able to do that, but have spaces. And that's what my hope is. And it sounds to me like that's what you're doing as like a pastor too, is like, how can I help people observe these things and walk through them to create better relationships with them? Mm-hmm. you find yourself walking with people in that way as far as pastoring? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and compassion to me, uh, Jesus in compassion is not such a soft thing as mm-hmm. much as it is. I want to baptize you. Well, I want to give you the fire mm-hmm. and I want it, the fire that's burning here. I want to give it and give it to you and burn and so uh the temptation could be to 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 uh pound it home but uh yeah but i I journey with folks and i I do a lot of circling back uh you know on the journey with the sheep sometimes uh instead of stopping right away i'll think it's wise to come circle back and i'll circle back to them and uh, maybe ask some challenging questions that'll lead to some challenging feedback. But it's usually about conversations of growing up and taking responsibility. Because I tell them after you're born again, you have to grow up again. Yeah. Wow. And, that's uh, so good. <laughs> yeah. And they're looking at me like, you are a young man and I'm your elder. You're telling me I need to grow up. Yep. <laughs> yep. You're a babe in Christ, even though you've been in the church 40 years. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, give up, teach them you have this great freedom in Christ, not so that you can uh, use the hammer as, as, as such a weapon, but as a chisel to sculpt. Mm. Use your hammer to chisel as a sculpt to build something, not to smash to pieces. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, they want to be judgmental with what they see as the truth. And I'm teaching them that truth is listening and responding accordingly. Mm. That's truth. Yeah. Uh, and that's obedience to the truth. Um, Jesus says, I am the truth. Mm. He didn't say, I'll tell you about it. And so to be in relationship with him is truth. Mm. I think to be in relationship with Luke is truth, a community of truth, to hear your truth, 
uh, and to honor it and respect it and to respond accordingly versus reacting. Yes. Yeah. So good, man. Yeah. How, Jay, what's your relationship with Jesus been like now? Like, is that, how does that, even that sentence would a lot of our, you know, I, and I'm assuming a lot of our listeners would be like, I don't want anybody talking to me about my relationship with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? But like, what does that phrase even mean to you these days? And I think you answered it in some ways, but like, how has that changed and evolved and shifted for you? And how does yeah. Jesus play a part in all, all of this now with you? Yeah, yeah, because I don't even know that you have to have your faith in Jesus to, to uh, you don't have to put your faith in Jesus uh, to be, uh, in in community with truth, uh, mm. and so I, I like to use Jesus for me because it's part of my foundation. Uh, and just so happened, uh, because it's such meaningful imagery and such meaningful meaning to me, I can use the name of Jesus and experience peace. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I keep using the name. It's. Uh, it brings me peace. It seems like almost immediately. Um, yeah. And so I have to, I have to in, integrate uh, my formative theology because it's a part of me and to neglect that is to throw away a part of me. Mm. Uh, and so I had to embrace it. I, no matter how angry I was at it mm. uh, or I would have been killing a part of me. Yeah. Uh, so I learned to find uh, those parts of my formative theology and integrate them uh, into my current spiritual path and walk. And I consider myself an omnis now uh, and yeah. I d- draw truth from everywhere, everywhere it, is, it's, it can be found. Um, but for me, I'd be throwing away a part of me if I didn't say uh, Jesus is a, a part of my path Yeah, uh, because uh, Jesus works for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So I, and I feel that same way, you know, and, and I, at some point I had to come to the conclusion of why am I frustrated with Jesus, you know? And that's that same sort of observing question. There's friction there. So apparently there's something that's trying to be sandpapered off of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. once the sandpaper gets smooth enough, there's nothing else that you know, that part's done, right? Like <laughs> the, where it's more coarse, it needs it, you know? And I'm like, why, right. whenever I encounter this, the sandpaper comes out and it feels uncomfortable. Oh, well, there's a whole lot of things to that. But part of it is just like accepting and reconciling. Like, you know, this is a part of who I am. The incarnation that is me has Jesus as a part of it. I was born in the United States to a pastor uh, I'm a pastor's kid. Uh, that's, that is going to be a part of it. And then recon, the reconstruction for me is like, so how do I see Jesus as a see Jesus from a different perspective with a different lens and B allow that to, for, to incorporate all of these other things into that. Um, you know, it, it, the reality is Christianity is one of the great world religions. There's some, there's a reason it's withstood the test of time. Maybe it was, you know, pillaging European cities and, you know, whatever, but regardless, it, there yeah. are words of truth, um, that Jesus has and reconciling those in ways, um, and looking at ourselves non-judgmentally to, to decipher through all of that, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. good stuff, man. It's it good is. stuff. I know we're running up on an hour. Um, and I just was curious if you have any other, uh, just like parting, you really like have such a good, like pastoral vibe to you through all of this, man. Like even Amen. just talking to you, like you, you can tell like the, the big heart care that you have. And uh, I feel that even talking to you on the other side of the country through zoom, I can only imagine what people feel like who are, in your care, you know? Wow. And uh, it's beautiful, man. It's, it's a really, really awesome thing. Um, so any like uh, departing pastoral words to people who are trying to reformulate a faith for themselves? Um, any, I don't know, just other things that we don't, we haven't touched on yet that you think might be beneficial? Um, 
Well, I can, I, for starters, I can add to the last uh, piece I was mentioning about Christ working for me. Yeah. Uh, it, it reminds me of uh, when I said that, I thought about Carl Jung and how he says, I don't believe there's God. I know there's a God. And he explained it, because of how well uh, his faith, he used his faith and how well it worked for him. That's yeah. how he knows. Mm. And I admired that coming from a psychoanalyst who was an omnius as well. And yeah. he said, God, he wasn't just talking about Jesus, if you will, but God. And uh, like you said earlier about being above all and in all. Uh, but for me, I think it would just be to, to, to surround yourself, to add to that note, to note that I know God. But to add to that, I would just say to surround yourself with the, the community uh, of folks like who create that non-judgmental space and you can let out your frustrations, your joys, your pains, your angers. We all need that safe space, free of fear, free of judgment, uh, where there's acceptance uh, and challenging feedback mm, yeah. uh, to not be excluded from that. But I, I believe, and to tell your story, but you have to have the right place to do that, uh, to process your story. And I believe telling your story is part of the, is the first part of the healing process to reconnect with yourself. Because for me, trauma is a disconnect in the self mm. more so than the traumatic event. Mm. Uh, I don't have to be disconnected from myself. Uh, in fact, it is true worship to be connected to myself uh, because I'm created in God's image. So, just value the community of self and the, the community around you because God has uh, placed many gifts within just being in community with self and others that I would have to leave with that, with that connection and community mm. and compassion and, and courage, all of those seeds, just uh, let them be part of you and walk in them and integrate them and, and let it be your spiritual practice. So good. What a beautiful way to end it. The four C's from Pastor Jay today. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's been really fun talking to you. You're uh, very kind and uh, very personable and a uh, great listener. And I, I'm really glad about what you're doing. Um, and uh, just keep striving, keep, keep uh, pushing and uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to come speak to you. Oh, man. Thank you. It's been an honor. It's so good. And do you have uh, anywhere where people can catch up with you? Or do you, I know you're thinking about starting a podcast. Do you do any blogging or, or any, any uh, websites you want to point people to? I'm always uh, uh, available on Facebook as well. Just Jeremiah Page. Jeremiah Forshee page to be exact. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to connect there as well. So good. So good, man. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and um, friends certainly reach out. If you have thoughts, questions, if this percolated anything by all means, reach out to one of us and uh, we're here to help. I'm, I'm a pastor, man. Jay's a pastor. We, you know, we have a lot of stuff with that sort of language, but in the truest sense of it, I think we just want to help people grow and be all that they can be in the divine. And, and so reach out friends, reach out. That's right, man. On the journey with them. Yeah. So good, man. Yeah, man. All right. Well, thanks a lot. listening to the Spiritual Nomad podcast. As always, we would love for you to subscribe, leave a review, and share this channel with a friend. If you would like to financially support the Spiritual Nomad project, visit thespiritualnomad.org slash give. To contact Luke, you can email him directly, luke at thespiritualnomad.org, or send a direct message on Instagram. Until next time, grace, peace, and love.